live long in the memory for Jack Stacey's mum, at least. A 1-0 win for Norwich City at Carrow Road against Stoke City this afternoon. We've uh, made the trip up the hill back to our office, back to our studios, which have been revamped. We've got a canary studios. now. Yeah, studios. That's what this is, a studio, isn't it? We can label that. We've got a canary. We need to work on a name for him. So any clever canary-related Norwich names, you can send them in. Um, I haven't prepped you guys because I was going to ask you, so maybe I'll give you a little bit more time to breathe. But this is the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, brought to you in association with Future Radio. I'm Connor Southwell. To my left is Paddy Davitt. To my right is Samuel Seaman. I should probably explain that for our audio listeners, to which we've got a canary makes no sense. One of those uh, inflatable ones that you could assault people with. Not that we condone that, but... You see them kind of being waved at away games predominantly, I, I think. But it's the old canary, so you, you think they need to update that with a new crest, really. What, what now, sorry for our audio rather than visual listeners here, but uh, there was a craze, wasn't there? I don't know what era it was. I remember Grimsby, they had loads of haddocks. They went to yeah, yeah. With some FA Cup tie. They took a load to Southampton, yeah, didn't they? Was recently? that it? Was that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They were all the rage. Um, but Novelty? I think we can describe it. Definitely in the nostalgia category now, I think. Yeah, looking at that thing. And we've got something else in a box, which we'll unveil later on. We've also managed to find some little uh, some little figures, which aren't yellow. That looks like a referee. That aren't in uh, aren't in yellow and green. So they're they're sat on the table as well, kind of like um, they're not quite Sabutio, are they? But they're they're like little figures. Really, he looks like he's appealing for a wicket in cricket. That second one. But anyway, uh, we've put it off long enough. We are going to talk about the game that was uh, Norwich City um, have recorded their their what is it their sixth win in, in eight is is that right um, unbelievable starts the season also the third um home win on the bounce which is the first time since 2006-07 they've started three games at Carrow Road with uh, three wins so 100% home record still intact with Leicester on the horizon as well and we'll talk about that game a little bit later in the podcast but Paddy after Rotherham the way we dissected that the performance we'll obviously get into the nuances of the way the game transpired because we're going to be using the cliche a game of two halves quite frequently but the result before we dig into absolutely anything it was it was necessary wasn't it after what, what unfolded at New York Stadium before the break. Yeah, because I think it wasn't in this setting because we recorded on the Sunday after Rotherham, didn't we? In our um, away studio. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Which is actually, as I, no, if I recall, that's just behind us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Threw me there for a minute. All this talk of studios, definitely not the budget <laughs> I'm familiar with. But, uh, but the feeling was, I think, and I said it again today on the Team News video, that, um, you know, the needle was still off the back of the previous six unbeaten games, but the needle was still ticking into the positive in terms of the overall feeling around this season. But because, you know, it's not all that distant what happened at the back end, you know, one win 11 and that kind of just sad, slow decline in terms of performance as well as results, lack of goals, just everything about the club felt very stale. That That's not that far in the past, as I say, that if they had not performed again today and we'd had more of that first half at Rotherham, then those sort of little whispering voices maybe with some Norwich fans would have started to grow a little bit again and, and, and it'd, maybe the narrative would have shifted. You've used that word a few times this past week. The narrative would have been then, well, maybe that start was kind of more of an anomaly and it's actually, this is now more the continuation of the trend from last season. So I think, first and foremost, to win as they did today, not pretty, but they got the job done, clean sheet into the bargain. I think that then firmly now puts this into the category six wins today. You cannot do huge amount more and really the draw in that one if you take the Rotherham result was Southampton and 97 minutes on the clock they're winning that game as well so yeah I I think that's the biggest takeaway today isn't it that the performance itself was very sporadic and fitful and functional in many areas but they got the job done and that's a great trait because where this season needs to lead to if it's going to be you know a top six or better campaign is days like today where they won't live long in the memory but everybody goes home tonight and it's three points more to the tally and um, and you've not played really anywhere near as they had done in those first six games so that to my mind is a very very good signal of the health and the vitality within this group of players and, and the coaching staff that even when they're not firing on all cylinders they can get the job done and you know, I'm sure we'll get into the deficiencies in Stoke, and you know that's four defeats in six now for them in the league. And um, Alex Neil is swiftly going to come under pressure, I think, given the outlay, bringing in 18 players, spending on money relative to the championship at the top of echelons. Um, that that level of performance isn't going to be anywhere near good enough, and and they were poor in many facets today. But you know, Norwich did what they had to do, and um, 
And I, I, it's just good to be sat here post Rotherham now with another game under our belts. And good, okay, yeah, okay. There's elements of performance that could be better today, but it feels a bit more like the continuation of what we've seen in the previous six games. Yes, it did. And 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 Sam, just to kind of go off that that home record, three three wins from three in in the league. As I said, it's their their best um, home league start since oh six oh seven, which is um, quite remarkable, really. But more so because of the way it ended last time around, when Carrow was such a uh, a toxic, dour place to watch football. The fact that they've been able to to shift, I use the word narrative, to shift that narrative on pretty quickly, and and today kind of exemplified it as well during that first half. The atmosphere is back. There's a lot more positivity around the place. It's a nice place to watch football again. Yeah, and I think that that's something David Wagner and his staff and everyone else at the club recognised was going to be an important part of things if they were going to achieve this season. They couldn't rely for a whole season if they're going for promotion, which he's been open about being the aim, with just strong away form, as they showed most of the time um, towards the back end of last season. And to be fair, under under Dean Smith as well. But yeah, I think it's really encouraging to see that and it's probably the sort of thing that you want to be able to rely upon um, when you're a side going for promotion. They will have games like that Rotherham one, um, like Southampton maybe, where there'll be the disappointment of conceding a late goal. And to have that almost safe haven and that reliable pick-me-up of somewhere to go that you feel will be positive for your, your players and your fans, I think that's a really useful thing to have. Um, last season, at no point could they really look at a difficult run of games and think, well, they're back at Carrow Road before long, so that's a positive. In fact, the way that Dean Smith was speaking at times, it was like they would look at the Carrow Road games and, and fear for what they might hold. So They preferred playing away. Well, that's what he said. <laughs> maybe Maybe you shouldn't have done, but I think behind the scenes, even if it wasn't being verbalised, that probably was the feeling and now it's the absolute opposite and you can tell just what sort of connection the players and the fans have already and it shows you that things can change very quickly. I think we spoke in the summer and I was um, I was quite open about the fact that I felt Norwich needed a complete rebuild and maybe even some time and a season to consolidate and to try and turn things around slowly but to be fair to David Wagner because I think he deserves a lot of credit about for that um, and he's talked a lot about the importance of the relationship with supporters. He's been able to turn it around so, so quickly and Carrow Road is is the perfect symbol of that. So, um, yeah, I think it's a major, major positive for the club um, and for the players who will now have something to cling on to when they look at the fixture list, when they look at what's coming up, if they've had a difficult time. And, and I, I spoke a lot in sort of the lead up to this game and in Tactics Board, I spoke about it, that... I felt this was a chance for Norwich to prove they have the actual credentials and the minerals to be promoted rather than the start of the season just being being a momentum builder. And I think that was what they did today was they proved that they're not going to be they're not going to fall apart based on just one disappointing loss. It's not necessarily going to be as streaky as we're used to seeing from David Wagner or from Norwich in the last couple of years. Um, and I think they showed a number of the aspects that we saw in the first few games of the season, especially in that first half. It was the Norwich um, that probably fans have come to know and love under David Wagner in the last couple of months. So, um, yeah, a lot of positives out there. And as you say, I feel, I feel like I'm doing a, a segment on how positive the atmosphere is at Carrow Road in every podcast now. But that can only be a good thing, really, especially when, when they're trying to be as consistently good as is required to be promoted from the championship. Yeah, it's just just such a contrast, isn't it? Which I guess is why we keep talking about it because we were, we were in that ground towards the end of last season. We heard the chance. It you felt it when you walked around the place. It was miserable. It, it felt like there were some clouds over it, and um, it was it was just a really no, horrible's a bit of a stretch. But it wasn't a nice place to to come and watch football. You you look at it now, and uh, you know you walk through the door, and even the the stewards kind of have a, a spring in their step. It's nice to see, and that that obviously radiates throughout for everything and of course it's easy to say well they're just winning now so that's created that but I think it's it's largely it's the substance behind that it's performances and even though maybe this performance was slightly different it was a different type of it was them I guess proving that there's they can win in a different way which is something that maybe we haven't seen so far this season I promise uh, we're going to talk about this game for a little while and then we can consign it to the history books because I don't think it's it's one that is um, is going to live long in, in the memory as I said right at the start unless uh, you're Jack Stacey or, or any members of his family um, 
but Paddy, it was, it was. I don't want to bring it down given the conversation we've just had, but um, let, let's start with the second half because nice to end on a positive note. That that second half, concern, concerning for you, how do you reflect on it? Because equally, you kind of have to balance it off with what they did in the first half, which was so impressive. But the the drop off, I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on on that second half? I guess is is that the is the question? How how concerned, if at all, are you about? Where their levels got to, and and how difficult they perhaps made it for themselves. Yeah, not no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as concerned. I mean, David himself. I mean, I think my opening question to him was, you know, clean sheet, home win, professional performance, and he stopped himself and and said, up to the last five minutes, he wasn't happy with the professionalism of how they game managed it. As he said, you know, they were kind of were caught betwixt and between going for a second, and that would have been a killer. And maybe just being a bit more savvy in terms of how they protected Angus Gunn's goal, and um, you know, so that's maybe you know there are areas there clearly when that performance is broken down and they they forensically get into it. There there are aspects of that, but I don't. I still don't think we're in the concern category. Ultimately, Stoke were were not good enough to break them down. Um, you know, there was of course inevitably in any forty-five minute period that that unfolds like it did in the second half here today. You're going to have one or two moments of alarm. There was a, was it Johnson with that tremendous swinging shot that just cleared Angus Gunn's bar. And then obviously the, the one that dropped to Dwight Gale, who it was funny. I was thinking as he came on there as a late substitute stood next to Alex Neil, that I was at a Norwich game at Newcastle when Alex Neil was manager, when I think they were leading three, two going into um, normal uh, time added on at St. James's and Dwight Gale has gone bang, 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 hat trick. And um, and the proximity of the media seats to the dugouts there, you, you're more or less on top of. And when that, I think the fourth goal went in from Gale that night to cap the four-three win, just I'll never forget it. It was like hordes of Geordies down a gangway, basically smashing the perspex on top of the Norwich roof dugout. And Angus, uh, sorry, Alex Neil, just looking round and. Well, you know, if he gives you a stare, then you know. But I mean, what could he do on that night? It was no it... curly finger, was there? No, but it was. It just amused me today the juxtaposition that here he was, basically putting all his faith in Dwight Gale to do something similar, and he did have a chance, and the ball dropped to him about seven yards out. And if you watch the replay, Kenny McLean has just done enough as he's bringing his left leg back to basically put him off, and he's kind of air swiped it a little bit. But yes, there was one or two of those momentary alarms, but for all Stoke's possession, I. I I didn't. I didn't feel it was reflective of you know what that Norwich. It was a concerning second half display for me. I just thought they were very streetwise and very savvy and just played within themselves. You got you know Gibson and Duffy there. You know Kenny McLean now would fall into that category and Barnes further up the field and they just managed the game for me. Excepting what David said about the final five minutes. Yes, of course, you'd, you'd like to have seen a little bit more in terms of cutting edge. I mean, I don't remember Travers, their keeper, having a save to make in that second half. I think there was one chance for Fashnacht when he got the other side of Gooch as the ball dropped and he had a dig on the half volley from about six yards on the angle and it went into the side netting. And that's clearly not good enough at home to, to muster that in terms of productivity. But, you know, if you contrast it with the Hall game and you contrast it with the Millwall game, we know that's there. We know that's in this group of players at home as well. So I just think, it was a day, and maybe again reflective of Rotherham and, and how poor and disappointing that felt, that they just wanted to get the job done, get the result, and then build again and get another run going. And that'll be easier said than done because Leicester are next up at Car Road midweek. But um, today felt, looking at it, that group of players just wanted to get the job done. And um, and if that meant they had to play a little bit within themselves and a bit more conservatively um, and just keep Stoke at arm's length, more or less, then um, then so be it. But, you know, to go back to what I said at the start, you know, you, you look back at those Farker seasons, even the, the pomp and the panache of the first title winning season, there would have been days like this, you know, where they had to grind it out. They wasn't at their best in terms of free flowing, but they got the job done. And those links in the chain are what get you to come come April, May when it really matters, you know, in the shake up. So, you know, no, definitely no from my point of view watching that today, no concern. Um, because I don't look at it in isolation. I look at it now as eight games, league and cup, six wins. You know, you can't do a lot much more than that, can you really? No, not at all. And I think the two things I, w- I would add, and I'm, I'm not concerned either, is I think there's an element of game state to it where, you know, you've got one team chasing a game and one team trying to protect a game. So that's that kind of explains a little bit as to how the, the second half panned out. 
the only thing I would tentatively mention, I mentioned this in, in my verdict as well, is I, I felt first half was kind of, if you're going to produce a manual on how not to play against Norwich, it was basically what Stoke did, which was kind of set off them. It was quite interesting that they weren't keen at all to engage with Norwich trying to provoke the, that, that press that we've seen them do in, in recent weeks. They didn't want any part of that, but actually by sitting off them, it allowed Norwich to dominate wide areas and Fashnak was pulling fullbacks all over the place and Jack Stacey had a, had a really good run at things and likewise on the other flank with, with Rowan Yanoulis. So it was, it, that probably explains why Norwich was so dominant. And in the second, they engaged Norwich a little bit higher and it was similar to what Rotherham did and it kind of forced Norwich to go a little bit longer and that's when Huang got a little bit isolated and they didn't quite, the distances weren't quite right and that probably meant inviting a bit more pressure on themselves. But like you say, within that, they didn't consider, I can't really recall any saves that Angus Gunn had to make that were that were absolutely top-notch. So they did defend their, their central areas really well. So again, you can dissect it in many different ways, but ultimately, Sam, it proves, it's a different, as we said, and it was interesting because I spoke to Narcis Palash in the week and he said that they're trying to become a pretty complete team. They want to be adept at all of those aspects, at being able to defend if they need to and grind out a 1-0 result, being able to to play with the flair that maybe we, we saw with uh, against Millwall and Huddersfield and um, that that quality to be able to grind in, to, sut to shut up shop, to not concede territory in, 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 in sort of deep areas, defensive areas. It's a real positive trait across a 46th game championship season, isn't it? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the almost universality of, if that's a word, I'm not sure what it is. We'll take it. And that... Um, that sums up what was so good about Norwich's performance um, this afternoon. I think they had so many aspects that they will want to have going forward. It wasn't like the Southampton game where you're talking about unbelievable attack and terrible defence or other times this season when it's been, you know, one or too much of one and not enough of, of the other. I think even in the whole game, there were times when they either went a little bit gung-ho or sat back too much when they should have been pushing. I think in that first half, they got the balance absolutely right. And attack-wise, they, they showed some of the things that, as I said, have been running themes through their best performances this season. The wide areas, as you said, was an absolute um, staple for them today in terms of where their creativity was coming from. I think Jonathan Rowe and Demetrius Yanoulis were probably the quieter of the two flanks, but they still had... had Good games, I think, both of them, especially linking together. And Christian Fasnacht and Jack Stacey today, I thought, were just absolutely excellent. Fasnacht especially. Um, I think when you talk about that rounded approach and what was so good about Norwich today, he absolutely sums it up. He was fantastic on the ball. Technically, he is a cut above the championship. He's far above this level, to be honest. And I think I saw somebody on social media say that if he had another yard of pace... He'd be sort of competing at the top end of the Premier League, and I I agree with that. I think for a winger, that is maybe the slight downfall. But technically, he's so good. He's clearly a very intelligent footballer. His movement is very good. Um, his technique as well, and his work rate is unbelievable as well. The number of times you saw him steaming back, and I think Wagner was open in his post-match press conference that even though Fasnacht got that goal at Rotherham, he wasn't pleased with his performance and then he comes back with um with something that Wagner says was the best he's played in a Norwich shirt and I tend to agree with that. Um I think he was part of the team as a whole in impressing um very much with their defensive work and their pressing. There were a number of times actually I feared for Norwich a little bit because the game seemed so open and then within three seconds from work from McLean and Sarah and Fasnacht, they find a way to close the pitch so much and stop a way for, for Stoke to get out. And I don't think Stoke are the best team or in this current um, form that they're in. I don't think they're the best team Norwich will, will play this season. They're probably not in the top five. But I think Norwich made them look worse than they were because of the quality of their defensive work and their pressing. Um, that was as good as I've seen from Norwich team in terms of closing down and how rapidly they were able to snuff out defensive situations. And they weren't snuffing it out on the edge of their box. They weren't relying on Shane Duffy and Ben Gibson to put their bodies on the line as they have so often this season. They were snuffing it out in the Stoke half and managing to win the ball back in dangerous areas. So uh, that was really pleasing. As I said, the wide areas were really pleasing. And then when it did rely on that defensive solidity and sitting behind the ball as they did, 
mostly in the second half. Um, I agree with you. I think Game State had a lot to do with it as well as just the quality of their performance. But when they had to sit behind the ball and defend for their lives, they also showed that they can do that. And that's not news. I think we've seen all of those aspects at different times this season, often better than they showed today. But I think the fact that they were able to show all of it in the first half showed what sort of levels they can get to. And I think that was the key behind the win today. Reminded me a lot, actually, of, of an Norwich City win in the pre-season that we saw, Paddy, in terms of um, being quite defensively solid, maybe not being at their offensive best, which we've, we've seen when John Rowe, and, and even though there were really good offensive elements, particularly in that first half, as Sam outlines, and we'll come back to, to Fashnak and, and Stacey in a bit more detail later on, but felt like you know you could have slotted that in the middle of their Germany tour, and it, it would have felt pretty apt in terms of the themes that we were seeing in pre-season, and, and, and this is where maybe I don't necessarily agree that um, pre-season doesn't have any bearing on, on what they do, but we saw, we saw it actively in Germany, and Austria and Holland as well a big part of what they were doing over the summer was creating that defensive solidity which wins like today are, are born out of yeah I see where you're going with yeah the Darmstadt and the Kaiserslautern and there was a lot of facets from today that you could see back then yeah and and we all know you know whether you buy into results in pre-season or you don't but by common consent internally and externally that was everything and more probably that David Wagner wanted um, because it came off the back of such a dispiriting and disappointing spiral at the back end of last season that um, you can start to, you start to saw some of the seeds and now they're beginning to flower even this early in the, in the season because I wrote about it in my pointers today, that game, the way it was sort of teetering in, in the second half, they either lose that or they draw that last season at various points. The fact that, we were able to dissect elements of the performance that weren't quite there off the back of a clean sheet home win. That's that's your rate of progress. And it, and it is a testament, as Sam says, it is a testament to Wagner and Pelach, who you spoke to in the week, and, and, and his coaching group, and also the players they've added to the group. And let's not forget the, the, the romp of the players who were here last season, because they're the ones who carried the disappointment. Kenny McLean, when he, his new contract was confirmed there the other day and sat down with the club and talking about, you know, that baggage almost that those players would have felt at the end of last season, carrying that into pre-season, the fact that they managed to shed all that. And I thought he was good again today, to, to be fair, in that, that in that aspect of, I mean, David Wagner called it world-class counter-pressing in his view today. Um, and, and he, on numerous occasions, you could see him breaking up the play higher up the pitch than in a dangerous area in front of Angus Gunn. So... Yeah, no, there's there's absolutely no doubt. And today for me is is, is further irrefutable proof that um, a corner has been turned. You know, it, it's easy when it's one game in, two games in, maybe a cup game in the middle of that um, to feel that, you know, there's good signs. But have they actually left behind, you know, what, what unfolded in such toxic fashion in many facets post-Millwall last season? I think they have, clearly now, definitively, um, because games like today would have, been too much for them for, for that group of players last season certainly the group who would finish the campaign minus Hanley minus Gibson minus that experience um, and that's exciting that moving forward now and Leicester's a great test in terms of that regard that the fundamentals it feels are now in place both with and without the ball second half we see it more without the ball um, first half without the actual goal output but we saw again you know when John Rowe and, and Yanoulis are firing when Fashnak increasingly and Stacey. Um, I thought Gabby Zara was quiet by his standards today, but we know we, we don't need to talk about that man's quality on the ball. Um, you know, my, my, my worry still as we move into this next phase is the sergeantless element to it. Uh, I don't think Eder and Barnes offer anywhere near the overall package that a, that a Barnes and a sergeant were. So, and we saw a little bit of Huang today, you know, he, he made, his, made his second half debut. So, Moving forward in terms of how high you can set the bar, that's my own or my overriding concern now is is can they maintain this? Can, can you rely on a, a Jack Stacey popping up like a prime Alan Shearer as it was put to David <laughs> Wagner in his post-match presser by another media person? And, um, you know, is that going to be enough now? Because we're in, we, we've now started a very congested period this side of the next international break. It'll, it, it'll be pretty relentless going into the, and up to and including Christmas as well. So... You know, I, I just fear a little bit, you know, how they can adapt. And, and that's a challenge now for David and his coaches, clearly. But um, but there's absolutely no doubt they're building now from a really solid platform and one that I think we all feel is 
unless things unravel in, in some unforeseen fashion, is going to be a lot better than where they ended last season. And, you know, that that for me is quite an optimistic way to, to attack the, re the rest of this season. That, you know, if this group can have a little bit of it, look with injury, they haven't had it with Sargent, but if they keep some of the other key players fit and firing um, and it all comes together, then I think this group can, can go on and have a very good season. Yes, uh, Sam, what, what, there's obviously a lot of attention on, on Adam Eder at the moment. We, uh, as, as Paddy said, got the, the first sighting of, of uh, Huang Yuzhou and it was, it was interesting to see him in, in the second half, although I think it was a, a tough gig that, that, he, that he did have. What did you make of their respective performances? And as, as Paddy said, the, the dynamic between, well, it, was, it was them two and Barnes, wasn't it, for out, really? Um, I think there was an element of improvement in Ida's performance. I don't think it was where it needs to be long term um, in terms of replacing Sargent. I don't think the performance he put in today would have been acceptable by the American standards. But there were signs that I think I, I wanted to see after a performance like there was against Rotherham. I think his pressing had much, much more energy. That was a real, real weakness for him um, up north against Rotherham. And it has been, I think, throughout his career. So it was good to see improvement in that area. Uh, I thought, again, when he faces the play, he looks quite good. And we've spoken before about how maybe he suits that sort of number 10 role more than that advanced number nine role that he now has to play with Barnes slightly behind him. And I think technically he's fine when he's when he's facing it. There was a, a time when he exchanged balls with Yanoulis, got shot off on the edge of the box. I think he would have liked to do better with the shot. But the build-up play displayed to me what he can do technically and the intelligence that he can show in those positions. But in terms of the hold-up play, his usefulness as an out-ball, I still think his touch can be better technically the way that he... I think you spoke about it before in detail about how he needs to probably position himself better in those scenarios. Um, I, I didn't really like what I saw on that front. I think the ball still bounced off him too often. There were a couple of times when he won throw-ins or made the ball stick. But um, yeah, I, I still think to get up to the levels that Sargent was reaching and to fulfil the function that he did in the team, Ida has a lot of work um, to do. We've spoken before about what a confidence player he is and how... Sometimes in games he needs a moment to almost inspire himself. And um, I'm not sure he had that today, which maybe is the explanation, but um, that's not a sustainable way to play football, to rely upon a fantastic moment almost through sheer luck. But I think um, you spoke about on the preview show, and I think it was a good point, that the fans maybe can help provide that and that they can get behind him and give him that boost that he needs. And I think there is a feeling that everyone wants Ida to succeed. Whereas at times last season and when it's been difficult for Norwich and he's been um, deputising for Tamer Pukki, I think there's been almost a bit of a, a groan whenever he's come onto the pitch or a negative attitude surrounding him. I think in that sense the form of the team and how well they're playing works in, in his favour because I think people are willing to give him a chance and are willing to be positive and everyone wants him to do well. But, um, yeah, still a lot of work for me and, uh, you know, I think it was a difficult situation for Huang when he when he came onto the pitch. There's not much you can do as a striker other than work your socks off and, and try and keep the ball as much as you can, try and win it off defenders, try and put them under pressure and slow down attacks. I'm not sure his hold-up play was especially good either and um, having watched your Insight video where you spoke to obviously a South Korean football expert it doesn't sound like he's maybe as much of that physical profile as Sargent was so maybe it's not wise to expect him to produce much on that hold-up front but yeah I think there were a couple of times when he was trying to sort of reach for headers and try and get the ball under control and we didn't see much of that and I think Norwich could have done with somebody who the ball sticks to a little bit more um, when they were under constant waves of stoke possession and attack and they were struggling to keep possession for more than 10 or 15 seconds at times and I think they could have done with him there and that didn't seem to be his strength but I think he showed what he was about late on in the game when um, he sort of got the ball, had a bit of a chance to run at a defender, cut inside and, and hit a fairly decent shot. Probably could have been placed a little bit better because it was straight at the goalkeeper. But I think similarly to Ida, actually, with the, the play facing him, he looked quite good. But 
you know, Norwich had barely any possession when he was on the pitch. He didn't have many minutes to show what he was about. Um, and it's difficult to judge him based on that. I did think that time, having positively referenced it, that when he cut in and shot, I can understand it as somebody who hasn't played a lot of football in recent times, is has just come to a new club and probably wants to impress. I can understand why he did that. But I think if I was Wagner, I would have been absolutely howling because it was, as he referenced post-match, that was quite poor game management. They were 1-0 up. It was a real chance to get the ball in the corner, hold it up, keep possession. Um, and he's decided to take that shot on and Stoke actually from there, I think, went and had quite a, a decent opening had it not been for some good work from Gabriel Sarah and Kenny McLean to slow it down. So... That probably wasn't the right decision. I understand why he took it, but not much that we can really evaluate that performance on. Having said that, today I'm not feeling especially positive about Norwich's prospects in terms of replacing Sargent, but Huang has barely played um, any football. I think, was this the first time he's got on the pitch in English football competitively? Yeah, so he has to have a little bit of time, but equally Norwich can't afford to give him too much more um, because they will need to probably step up the level when Leicester comes to Carrow Road on Wednesday and um, it'll be interesting to see what decision Wagner makes regarding the 11 I would assume it's going to be either but definitely an opportunity there for Huang if he's if he's able to take it this is sort of uh, useless stuff my my brain holds but can you remember when when Tyrese Omotoyi took the ball to a court I can't remember what the game was and Daniel Farker in his post-match interview was it Barnsley, was it? Oh, well, yeah. He spent uh, ages raving about it and uh, it was uh, obviously subsequently subsequently left. I, don't, I think it was, it, it was a Carrow because yeah. I remember being there and, and that was the type of game management, wasn't it? Um, Adam and Sheffield Wednesday, there you go. Um, and it was when Norwich were, were seeing out a game and I, I remember him um, being full of praise for him in, in that moment. That's the type of game management. Where is Tyrese now? Forest Green, still Rovers, there, he is. Yeah, yeah. Permanently? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he yeah, is. So no uh, there you go. It goes to show taking the ball to the corner pays off for your your career sometimes as well. On on the Adam Eder debate, Paddy, it's it's interesting because and uh, I'm not not um, digging at you, Sam. It's is the way the it's been framed generally is he needs to replace Josh Sargent and he needs to, you basically dropping him into the Josh Sargent role and he needs to do all of the needs to function in exactly the way that Josh Sar Sargent functioned which feels quite difficult in reality particularly when he's a completely different type of striker do we not we as in us free but does the debate generally need to be broadened a little bit because it's not just on him surely part of the adaptation needs to be Norwich need to adapt a little bit to him as well it's it's kind of a two-way thing isn't oh, it yeah, absolutely it, because um Fundamentally, I mean, they're both strikers, and their their currency is goals. Um, well, that's how they're viewed, that's how they're going to be assessed primarily. But in terms of their types, but I mean, Sam's mapped out there. They're very different strikers, very different strikers. Back to goal, coming back towards the play. Um, I actually think I think there's a genuine case that he is probably sharper and more predatory in terms of his instincts in the box than Sergeant. I think Sergeant's clearly. Physically and athletically, a, a better, complete, yeah, he's a better all-round player. But I think between the width of the, you know, the eighteen-yard box, and we've seen it, we've seen it this season already. You know, the whole game, ninety-six minutes on the clock. There's Ida, he's reacting quickest as well. Um, so, yeah, inevitably, if if you're Wagner and the coaching staff, they'll know that they don't, they don't need that to be spelt out to the players that they will have to adapt. Maybe a little bit in terms of how they're trying to progress the ball in that final top end of the pitch. Without Sargent, it remains to be seen if Huang is more of a like for like. We, we can't really judge it on, on what we saw today. But um, but David Wagner, when asked, you know, in the last couple of press conferences about Huang, has has talked him up that he has a lot of the same attributes as Sargent. So, you know, they will have done their research, I'm sure. So, if that is the case, and you would think that would maybe tip the scales with. Wang and Barnes maybe rather than Eda if he wants to retain as close to the template in a, in a more attacking sense that, that had got on that first six games unbeaten um, and then use Eda as almost a finisher from the bench as, as they had done in, in the early part of the season it's it's too much to heap on his shoulders to expect him to come in and play like Sargent can he score similar amounts of goals well if the play around him and, and the service into the key areas in the penalty area then who knows but he's he's certainly got the capability to do that but if you're expecting him to come in and be the type of player sergeant is in general play then that's that's completely unrealistic because he isn't that type of player and I don't think he can adapt and modify his own game in this period of time 
um, to be able to do that. So there has to be a bit of a, an acceptance that it will have to be slightly different um, unless and until Wang proves that he he is almost a, a clone of Sergeant. Maybe not to the, the same degree um, in many metrics, but but that he is more of a sergeant than Anita is more of a sergeant. So, you know, it's something that they're going to have to wrestle with. There's no doubt because we know definitively that he's out now, sergeant, until, you know, three slash four months. Huge amount of games in that period. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of work internally, coaching-wise, going on in terms of how they can role-play that out and, and how they're going to compensate and whether they have to recalibrate a little bit how this the team are trying to play at the top end of the pitch without Josh Sargent if they don't have somebody now available who who essentially can do the job he was doing. We we mentioned him earlier on Saturday. Well, we mentioned them earlier on, Christian Fashnak and, and Jack Stacey. Um, we'll come back to Fashnak. Let's start with, with Stacey. I spoke to him post-match. There was a, a nice line, essentially. I think every week or every home game, Norwich rotate which family or member or which player's family essentially gets to, to go and enjoy a game where they're sort of dined by Delia and that sort of thing. I think Delia has spoken about it before, about how her and Michael enjoy those moments of, of meeting those people. And uh, it so happened that this week it was Jack Stacey's um, turn. So Stacey's mum was uh, was next to, to, to Delia and she got to see his first goal in, in, in three and a half years, which was... Uh, which was apt, it, it felt. Really good finish from, from him, uh, as Paddy compared him to, not that it wasn't you, you were you were paraphrasing someone else comparing him to Alan Shearer, which I think he'll absolutely take. But um, n- nice moment for him, isn't it? And, and probably um, consolidates a little bit of the, the good early impression that he's made at the football club. I'm glad you explained that anecdote because I think you've given it, what, 35 minutes yeah. before? Well, I thought I'd leave it linger, you know. It's, no, it's clever, to be fair. Keeps the keeps the listeners yeah. intrigued. Hooked. There you go. But um, yeah, I think he, he deserved it after the start he's had in a Norwich shirt. And to be honest, I don't think he's been especially impressive in the last few games. I think even though Norwich won 4-0 at Huddersfield, so nobody wanted to talk about the negatives, I'm not sure he had his best game there. I think he struggled a little bit and the quality of his his work on the ball maybe wasn't how it was before that. Again, at Rotherham, I didn't think he offered Norwich much or... Um, lived up to the the good performances he'd put in in the first few games of the season. But similarly to Norwich, I think he was back on form today and he was back to his best. Maybe that international break has has given him a good bit of time to recalibrate. Obviously, he was struggling for game time at Bournemouth and it, it will be a lot of football and a lot of responsibility on him that he hasn't been used to for the last couple of years. So... I think we saw Jack Stacey back to his best. I don't know if it was that motivation of his, his family being wined and dined by Delia and co, but um, I think he will be pleased with how he played today, especially in tandem with Fastnacht. I think defensively they worked very well together. Offensively, there's a nice combination of options. It really gives defenders a decision to make because both of them are capable of, of coming inside and occupying that inside channel on the corner of the box and both of them are capable of overlapping on the outside as well and they interchange with that really well. So I I think it gives the left winger and the left back some adapting to do and they don't know on which Norwich attack they're going to play which role and where they're going to end up and who they're going to end up marking. So I think it really creates a um, a good situation for Norwich and a situation from which they can attack. Um... I think, yeah, it's one of the best areas that Norwich have have seen this season with two of their best players. And it speaks, I think, to how intelligent they both are, that they've been able to adapt to each each other's games um, so quickly because obviously both new signings in the summer, Fastnacht was towards the end of pre-season. He didn't even start the first game and yet they already look like a pair that's, that's worked together um, for a couple of years, almost Buendia Aaron's-esque, if I may say so, at this early stage. But yeah, I think if they can continue performing at this level together, it will be it will be really pleasing. But Stacey, because he's a right back, because he's he sort of fits your typical Championship bracket in a lot of ways. He's you know twenty seven English, not somebody that is going to get spoken about much. Arrived from Bournemouth on a free transfer, having struggled to get into their team. But I think that's what Norwich during some of their most enjoyable promotions have been all about players that maybe haven't been so appreciated elsewhere and players that had 
slipped the mind of the collective football world. And I think Stacey fits into that bracket and yet is showing his best at Norwich. He's somebody who consistently has shown that he's up to this level, has been part of multiple promotion winning squads in the EFL. And I think he can be a key player for Norwich. He's got that right back spot absolutely nailed down. And obviously they sold Ballymumba partly because they saw um, a solution in Kellen Fisher and somebody whose progression they didn't want to block. But for me, the gap between Fisher and Stacey is as big as almost any in that Norwich squad in terms of who's starting. So they he's clearly somebody they believe is capable of producing on a consistent basis. Um, he's not somebody who struggled with, with injury, especially throughout his career. And he's somebody who looks like he could be a very reliable presence. So on a free transfer, this looks like a little bit of a masterstroke from, from Stuart Webber, to be fair to him. And um, the sort of player that, when you're struggling for money or, or struggling financially as Norwich were this summer, he's an absolute dream pickup, and um, they'll be they'll be delighted with how it's turned out, and um, it's it's been the absolute perfect scenario. So I think he can continue to produce these performances. Hopefully, now he's playing more games more regularly. He's not going to see the sorts of drops drop offs that we saw in the prior weeks and it's just good to see him back to his best and obviously you know as he said absolutely time to perfection with his mum sat next to Delia in the uh, director's box yep Stacey's mum has she got it going on that's the question we'll, uh, we'll leave we don't want an Let's answer to answer that, that by the way I don't <laughs> want an answer to that um, yeah, that's that's one half of that right sided um, pairing pad the other is, is Christian Fashnak Sam spoke about him earlier he's he doesn't I mean this kind of a backhanded he doesn't really look like a footballer he has his, his you know, so, I keep, his, I keep thinking and I wrote about it in the point so that it's Steeperman yeah, he just, yeah. it's, he's just another Steeperman in terms of not sure what he's really all about what's his strongest attributes but his effect like you know if you blew on him he'd fall over but he's he, he's not that yeah, is no, he I but mean, I mean he's quite a powerful chap as yeah, was Steeperman yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but but you just think, well, quite awkward, quite, yeah, yeah. average is you know you, you might look at him and think you know uh, he does every he does everything okay, but does he do anything I really well? Brutal, right? No, 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 no. I'm saying that that's what yeah, yeah, you you could look at him if you look at, as as you did with Steeperman. But yeah. my word, how how a family? So I'm not going to repeat everything Sam has said because that is the case that he's a facilitator, he's an enabler, and he's a very urgent footballer and you know it was telling I think that the first couple of times David Wagner once he was in the building talked about him there was almost a don't look down on the Swiss League don't don't be sneering about it of course Wagner would say that because he you know he himself was managing at the same club young young boys but you know this is a guy who won five or six league titles in Switzerland he played in the Champions League he could have played in the Champions League this time around again played for his country you know, in in where Norwich are at the moment, we're talking about Stacey there, an excellent recruitment. This looks an absolute tremendous, and and, and was, a lot of was, it will have lent yeah. on on the personal relationship with Wagner. We know that because both have spoken about that once the deal went through. But my word, I mean, there's no there's no way Norwich conceivably where the Norwich finished last season could have really pitched for a player of his pedigree and his you know CV basically. So yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, and I've referenced Steeperman for one reason, because Steeperman, that first league season, the relationship with Puki, I mean, clearly, obviously, inevitably, with the goals team who Puki scored, he was always going to, him and Buendia, but him particularly in that first time round, they were going to always claim the, you know, the headlines, weren't they, to grab the headlines. But um, Puki's nowhere near effective that first championship size title winning season without Steeperman. Steeperman was the enabler, the facilitator. Um, and you're starting to see that with Fashnak now, obviously with Stacey primarily because that's that's the flank they're operating on. But just how he interacts with the other attacking midfielders, with the two forward players, you know, he's just. Um, and we don't want to get too carried away because it is still very early on in his career, still very early on in Norwich's season. But um, you know, David, as Sam said, called it his best performance in green and yellow today. And I think I wrote down. I think it was about 65 minutes. First time he misplaced the pass and. Um, you know everything he did before that was pure quality. So um, yeah, tremendous recruitment and quietly effective, rather than average. I'll retract the average bit, but quietly effective in so many facets. You know, even I mean, he got a book in at the end of the game because he's scissor tackling. Um, I can't think of the player now off the top of my head, but uh, you know, the, in terms that while well, you don't want that happening every week, and him you know collecting yellow cards, 
it shows as well as the technical ability, he's got the physicality as well, and he's already adapted to that in because that's a prerequisite for a championship midfielder. So, you know, I don't see a weakness really in his game. I mean, some talked about maybe the lack of pace, but for me, I don't look at him as an out-out winger. He's not a John Rowe. He's not one of those who's going to square up a fullback, burn past them, um, and get the other side of them with with sheer pace. He's he's far more intelligent, far more. Um, clever, cunning in his movement and finding space and, and then his ability on the ball to then utilise that space. So, um, yeah, I don't really see him in, in that bracket of winger. I think he's basically a, a more accomplished midfielder, I think. He glides, doesn't he? He's the type of player that if you're a defender, you think, I've got him, I've got him, I've got oh, where's he gone? And he's kind of, because he's, he's, he's found some space and uh, it, the reason Stacey had so much joy this afternoon because he, he just kind of float inside and open up essentially that, that channel for him um, and it was, it was just so intelligent and as you say, enables other players and um, I quite like the fact he looks a little bit like a basketball player as well but just a brilliant footballer and for all the praise that maybe Ashley Barnes and Shane Duffy have got as, um, so far you, you and Jack Stacey as well, you'd certainly put him towards the top of the list in terms of Norwich City recruits this summer and obviously the only one that they they paid a transfer fee for as well so um yeah he's yeah he's been he's been excellent so far a couple of uh, bits to talk about around this game um Kenny McLean signed a new contract on Friday until 2026 with a club option to take that potentially to uh, 2027 uh, Sam if only we had Kenny McLean's biggest fan here to to talk about it. Uh, you must be absolutely delighted. In fact, I've you've been wearing a smile all day, so I can only imagine it's it's related to <laughs> to that news about Kenny McLean. It is. I've been wearing a smile ever since I. Well, heard. You, hang on. What's that T-shirt you've got under there? Is it got a big it's picture of Kenny McLean's face on? Kenny's it? face there, but I can't show any bias in the uh, in the press box, so I had to, to keep it under wraps. But Did you say I love you, Kenny. Yeah, yeah. secretly yeah. every time under under the table, I was giving it that. <laughs> if he uh, not because I'm I'm such a true Kenny fan. I know what he's about. Not not for Hollywood passes or anything. Every time he made like a simple tackle right. or a little short pass, I was. That's what you're all about, Kenny. I, you know, we all know what a big fan of Kenny McLean I am, and I have to say, I'm not one to blow my own trumpet. But this season, he's proved me absolutely right. He's obviously. Miles ahead of Johnny Howson um, in his career as a Norwich player. A key man, a key man with Norwich. Different potentially, potentially on the charge to uh, to championship promotion. I think I've been proven right. I think Kenny's been proven right, and I'm delighted for him with this new con. Best news this year. Well, we, we'll save the House and um, McLean he, debate he for no, just Johnny save it. Save it. We'll, we've got a long car journey to Put Plymouth. That to the public, and let's see who's the better midfielder out of those two. Okay. Well, this is. We'll, no, we'll no, do no. it. We'll do it. We'll do you a can't, poll. You can't They've, trust that. You can't trust. Children, that. children, <laughs> children, <laughs> children, <laughs> children. <laughs> Children, uh, we'll, we, we can put it out there, and we'll let we'll let people decide. But I, I do I do think in terms of um, consistency, he's been the most consistent performer of the David Wagner era. Pad. I, I wrote a column a few weeks ago about how he's kind of become his Jonathan Hogg in many ways that that he had at, at Huddersfield in terms of reliability and that role that he played. It was quite interesting. I remember speaking to him not this pre-season, pre-season before at Celtic and he played in a deeper role there and we're like, oh, that's quite interesting, Kenny, what do you make of that? And he was, oh, yeah, probably not my preference to play there, but I'll do it if, if asked. And it really feels like David Wagner's unlocked something in him, doesn't he, playing him in that, in that deeper role. And now his role within that Norwich's overall system under David Wagner is so, so important. And the, the pure mathematics of it in terms of win ratios, Norwich are a better side, they win more matches with Kenny McLean in, in, in the centre of their midfield than, than when he's not. Oh yeah, there's absolutely no dispute his influence on this team now. It's um, probably not a more influential figure really right here, right now. And we said it on the Team News video, at, at his age now, off the back of that contract, he, he probably is in the best form. You know, This is, in theory, all that experience he's amassed He's still athletically able to get about the pitch. His passing range is underrated. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's what Wagner saw initially when he wanted to put him in that more quarterback type of role uh, in tandem now with Gabby Zara increasingly with Forshaw in the mix, as David mapped out on on, uh, on Thursday. Um, this this These are the peak years now for me. These are the peak years of his career. And, and, and you can see that. There's, a, there's like an inner confidence to his play. He's, he's got the trust of his head coach. He was giving him the armband. He talked about that responsibility in his in his interview post contract announcement, um, and he just looks really comfortable in his own skin on a football pitch. and uh, And he know he knows that he's is in a really rich vein of form in terms of his career, and and you can see that that stamped through his play. There's such an assurance to how he's 
moving himself around the pitch. And like I said, I said it earlier, you know, in that second half, the way it was, it was more often not, it was McLean who was breaking up those Stokes sort of forays. Um, just, just knows what the demands are on him in his side and he's able to deliver them. And, and, you know, we, we know we've, we've put it out there now that the, the Leeds interest was genuine. It was firm. It was persistent, but it never, ever was considered, um, viable to sell Kenny McLean because certainly for the, the the figures that Leeds were quoting because you cannot replace Kenny McLean's influence and impact and influence on this Norwich team for the sort of figures that, that were being bandied about and uh, that's a testament to him and uh, yeah uh, with Sarah obviously you know they are they are a, a, a double act and um, and the blend is is really you know I think powering what Norwich have done so far this season I, I don't think Sarah as I say was at his best today but um just that blend between the two and, and, and the requirements you want from your central midfield duo, you put those two together, um, they're ticking every box. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely just, I'm not, not anti Kenny McLean. I'm just not as effusive as Sam is in terms of the pantheon of great modern day Norwich midfielders. But uh, there's no doubt whatsoever, you know, it's the cliche, but uh, when David Wagner, yeah, as, as he will do now, sits down for his, um, you know, his Leicester team sheet, Kenny McLean's probably the first name on it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And uh, until he scores a goal like Johnny Housen did against Forest, I'm, I'm yeah. not not really going to entertain that debate. If I'm if I'm honest, but um, we'll, we'll put it to the people and, and power to the people and all that kind of thing. Um, Sam Narcis Palash is, is so we had a sit down with him in the week. He was um, very impressive to to speak to. What did you make of him? It's interesting. Jack Stacey again kind of referenced the the work and and I think. Um, Narcissus said this in, in the chat that he's kind of taken ownership of, of the defence and all of the coaches have a different area. I think um, Christoph Buhler's doing the, doing the attackers, Andy Hughes, kind of the midfield, which kind of works when you look at their relative positions that they played. I think uh, Narcissus Palash was a defender by all accounts. Um, what, what, what did you make of it as a, as a, a of, of him, I guess? And it, it kind of, I, I felt, encapsulated his passion for football, his enthusiasm for for, for football, but but also probably what he's injected into David Wagner's staff, but also the club more generally. Yeah, I think he spoke really, really well. And he's probably somebody who the uh, more philosophical of Norwich fans is, is are going to really enjoy uh, listening to speak. Because when I was, I was watching that interview, there was almost not a world-class coach that he didn't tick off in his list of who he's worked with and who he's taken advice from and taken lessons from. He doesn't sound like somebody who's going to stick around at Norwich for 10 years. He sounds like somebody who's very keen on learning. He uses that word plenty of times um, in that interview and he seems like somebody who is really absolutely obsessive. I think he, he admitted that sometimes you have to be obsessive and he sounds like somebody who's obsessive about football and, and lives it almost every hour of the day. And I think he represents what what that that staff looks like at the moment. Um, with Wagner, we know from sort of conversations we've had how minute things are in his mind and how important the tiny little details and his players playing at certain times in the day and how minutely managed their schedule is. I think it's what Norwich probably needed after Dean Smith's approach, which is a little bit more... Laissez-faire. I was going to say laissez-faire. You got there before me. Um, it was a little bit, yeah, a little bit maybe more traditional and involved a bit more time off and probably a, a slightly more loose structure as to how, how things were done. I think now this is a, a football staff that is obsessed with making Norwich City a successful club. And just hearing him speak, I actually thought, what a coup this is for Norwich. And he probably has had a significant number of good offers and he spoke about interviews. I think, Anyone who's who's done an interview with him with a view to maybe hiring him would have been impressed this summer. So I think Norwich have done a really good job getting him. I think Huddersfield did an, an even better job keeping him under Neil Warnock because he feels like... I think he said his idea was closer to the sort of peak Spanish years and Guardiola's dominant Barcelona side. Um, I think to... What are you trying to say about Neil Warnock's style of football? I, I for one, love Neil Warnock's <laughs> style of football and I think it's very similar to Pep Guardiola's at Barcelona. But uh, I can see why some people might think it would be slightly different. So um, based on perception alone, I think Huddersfield have done a very good job keeping him there. And he's obviously somebody who is not snobby about the football that he works under. He isn't just obsessed with 
reiterating his own idea and proving himself right in his head. He wants to learn all the different aspects of the game and he's bringing, even at his young age, plenty of different experience and expertise to a club that I think needed it this summer. Uh, Wagner was, I asked him in the press conference going into this game, what worked so well with Pelac? And he said that he had been looking for plenty of details that he felt could make Norwich better. And he decided that he wanted to do that in his backroom staff. And I think they've probably got, at the level they're at, I would be surprised if there was somebody better that could have filled that role. So just from hearing him speak, I feel like I've made a lot of assumptions based on an interview, but to be fair, we don't get don't get much more to go off when it when it comes to the influence of a, a backroom member. But how how Wagner speaks about him, how he speaks himself, it seems like a, a really, really good and a really astute um, signing this summer. Maybe as, as good as any other they've made and it, it will go under the radar. But these things do make a big difference. And I think um, Pelash will do that, probably already has done that and will continue to do that over his time at Carrow Road. It's interesting since he's got in the building pad, I mean, the amount of people that have, have, have said to us about how influential he's been and how much he's, he's kind of lifted the place. And I, and I guess it's, it's interesting listening to both him and Wagner speak about each other. It kind of feels like maybe Pelach is, along with the other coaches as well, and we shouldn't forget Andy Hughes and, and, and Christoph Bulo as well, both of whom obviously supported Wagner at Huddersfield and, and got them out of the championship. So they play influential roles as well. Um, it's just obviously we, we, Pelash is, 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 is the new one added to that group who didn't have last season, but kind of feels like he's maybe freed Wagner up a little bit to do different areas, to focus on different areas, to maybe pick and choose different bits. I mean, all, all of this kind of contributes to the change that he wanted to implement in the summer, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's, it shows Cass Wagner in a very positive light. You know, he isn't precious about his sort of coaching methodology or even, you know, the individuals within his team. You, you, you see it so often around the game that it's, you know, Coach A goes to, to club whatever and, and along go automatically his, his backroom team. There's, there's no refreshing there. There's no maybe willingness to embrace a, a new voice, a, a different way of looking at it and um, and a younger coach as well. You know, the, the, such a precarious job uh, security to, to being a head coach at the top end of English football. And you know, I'm pretty sure, um, I can even think of one or two recently uh, darkened the doors of Norwich uh, in terms of coaching who would think twice about bringing in a younger alternative because they would maybe role play, uh, well, if we go one win in 10 and I'm probably going to be out of a job and then uh, somebody else might, i.e. the person I've just brought in might be. But there's none of that clearly in this thought process from Wagner. It's it's a selfless move as, and it and it and it's also reinvigorated. You can feel that around the group. Yes, we've spoken to people within the club. Um, I mean, you went to the, the that fans forum, didn't you? And, um, you know, with Angus and Jack Stacey and John Rowe and I think was there a question about you know what's changed between now and the back end of last season, and one or two of the players basically put it on Narcis Pelacci's shoulders. So that's all you, that's all you need to go if you're getting that recommendation from the people who matter, i.e. the football players at the football club. Then that tells you his impact in a very abbreviated period of time. So and you, that shone through in that interview. You know the the energy, the enthusiasm, verging on the obsession that he's got. Um, to his craft and to want to get better and to put himself in uncomfortable situations. As he said, four years ago, he doesn't speak English. Then he goes to England, not only to England, he goes to the Championship and, and Huddersfield, you know, stays there when he could have gone with Corberan to, to emphasise my point about individuals moving around normally. You tend to see them moving packs wherever the, the head coach, the leader of, the, of that pack goes. But no, he decided, no, I'm going to go against the grain there. Felt a loyalty to Huddersfield. And then, you know, he's then decided to pitch up here and, and feels this is the environment where he can learn again so that mindset that as I say selflessness on the part of Wagner and his coach other coaches because you know I'm sure he'd have had to sound with Christoph Bueller primarily but also Andy Hughes as well um, that you know this was happening and that we're going to shake things up and, and this is why I want to do it and for all of those coaches to embrace that you you'll be, you you know you have to give them huge credit and and the evidence is now in what we're seeing on the pitch because, you know, it looks so different, um, so much more cohesive for me um, in terms of what Norwich is striving to do on the pitch with and without the ball now as opposed to that last 11-game run-in last season. And uh, let's not put it all at Pelacci's door, um, but clearly he has injected a dynamism and an, in an intensity and maybe a renewed focus and a freshness and an energy. Um, and 
it would seem from our vantage that, you know, Wagner and Bueller and Hughes, maybe they've tapped into that. They're feeding off that as well. And, and the spark is producing what we're seeing on the pitch. And obviously the, the players who came in in the summer, they've part of that equation as well. But, uh, you know, ultimately that all leads back to one man and that's David Wagner. It was David Wagner who would have pushed to bring somebody into his backroom team, as he said, as he said again on Thursday, he said, I think he said earlier in the season, because he felt it was a missing piece of the jigsaw. That missing piece of the jigsaw now was Narcis Pelach. So, you know, I, I think we can't underestimate Wagner's um, willingness to almost, you know, park whatever it would, would mean for him as on a, an individual and, and maybe people looking at it and saying, is that a reflection on some aspect of his coaching craft that was was lacking or, or that he needed to address. I mean, he said, he said on Thursday, didn't he, in that answer that he is constantly striving. He will watch games, he will watch other coaches, he will go to training sessions because he's still, despite him, I think he said it after today's game, being a manager for 14, 15 years, he still not, doesn't think he's the finished article. He still wants to improve. He still wants to push himself and challenge himself. And bringing in a young, hungry coach like Narcis Pelac is all part of that. And, and ultimately, if it does continue along this path, that'll be good for him. It'll be good for Narcis. But ultimately, it should be good for Norwich City as well. Indeed. Uh, before we look ahead to the two games coming up, uh, I wanted to highlight this. This was obviously we've been asking for your Norwich City memorabilia. We've uh, managed to get this lovely cardboard cut out of Darren Eady, who we had to actually um, take back. He'd been taken by some other members in, in the office, um, which, you know, they're entitled to do. We're not here and, all the time. And, so. and a health and safety high-vis jacket had been draped round Yeah, because he needs more colour He needs more colour on him, know, doesn't the he? The lack of respect, though, to a, a, a legend like the... Like Mr. Eady. Exactly. I mean, imagine imagine whacking inflatable canary but under his arm. I mean, it's just with, just with tape to keep it from like <laughs> knocking me on the top of the head. Yeah, yeah. it has been quite remarkable that that's that's stayed there. But uh, there we go. And obviously, we've we've got this No City thing as well. We're in, I'm trying to get um, our hands on something else at the moment. This was sent in by a listener uh, called Matt, who uh, has listened to the pod for a long time, and it's a, an excellent Paddy's a fan of Cap, so he's going to model this. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> it's a bright yellow, and I just hold it up to the the camera. Yeah, it says uh, Radio Canary, 16.02 a.m. Uh, and the, the zero is brilliantly crafted as a football. You've got a radio on the side. Obviously, you've got your headphones. Too big for my head. You've got your... Not with that. And it is adjustable at the back. So um, Paddy will be all right to, to model that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, Well, that's that's where we're going to find... That's where we're going to try and find a home for it. I don't want to... I sat down, which is not it's ideal. Right, Paddy is going to try and, and put him on, which works brilliantly for <laughs> all of... <laughs> for, you're going to try and put it on Darren Eady, yeah. which uh, works beautifully for audio, and uh, hopefully we can crown him. He's got quite a big head, hasn't he, Darren? Uh, not not the real Darren Eady. I don't want to offend, but there we go. Look at that. Look at that. So thank you very much, Matt. And of course, we are looking for your Norwich City memorabilia. I did see actually there was an advert on TV earlier. I won't say on which channel, but um, for football sofas, so you can get sofas made in, in football team colours. So any anyone who's got some yellow and green sofas that they want to donate oh, would be appreciated. That'd be lovely, that. The cabbage, the red cabbage. What, styled on a sofa? Yeah, let's have it, yeah. yeah. If it can be done for free. Nice. Uh, but, of course, any other No City member, we don't want anything valuable that, you know, has, has real deep meaning, but anything uh, that's taking up a bit of space in your house that you want to get rid of, then do get in touch and, uh, and let us know and we'll take it. And we're, we're building quietly. I mean, Darren Eady is looking resplendent with an inflatable canary. He's got a hat. What else does he need? A scarf, maybe? Trying to think what else we could add to him, but yeah, anything that you think might might uh, is taking up a bit of space in your house, we we will take it and uh, we will use it for uh, this growing studio, which we're going to call a studio from now on as well. We've got plenty of space to play with, so um, yeah, get in touch if you've got anything. And and finally, worth mentioning, um, Pad, we'll we'll come to you. It's a, a really busy week for Norwich. Leicester on Wednesday at Carroll Road, which is going to be really interesting and then the next time they're, they're going to see us uh, on camera which might be quite dangerous is after the, the Plymouth trip I mean if you think this podcast is unhinged then it's going to be even more so next week we're going to, we're going to be slightly delirious I think after that trip looking for, you're wearing Plymouth colours which is, which is nice you're looking forward to a, a nice trip to Devon um, I am on the level of I've never been to Home Park, so that that I'll hold you to that, won't we? No, no. Uh, let me finish. But yeah, so the actual ninety minutes within a new stadium, which, which is a huge rarity now. But uh, I mean, by all accounts, we're on a we're on a spread of about six to eight hour commute home. So if we if we're still there, as it was tonight, we left Carrow Road at quarter to seven. Um, 
I dread to think what that the, what were the early hours of that Saturday, Saturday late hours of Saturday, early hours of Sunday morning are going to look like. It's going to be bad, bad. Um, but you know, we'll do do it for our craft and uh, for the for the people. For the people, yeah, we're selfless in that way. So uh, as long as there's a, a Leon on the way, we'll be sound. So uh, no, it's not going to be good. No, I'm not even thinking about the commute if I'm honest. But um, but the element in between, the main most important bit, will be. Yeah, very pleasurable. They got beat again today, didn't they, Plymouth, I think. So they're struggling a little bit. Going to see Bali again. So, yeah, it could be an interesting one. But, of course, Leicester before that. And um, I know you remain to be convinced, Connor, at the start of the season. But I wasn't in any doubt. I think I think they're the Burnley of this season. I think they're the Wolves of, pre- of a previous sort of era. The John Ruddy, Ryan Bennett. I think they'll run away with it. Um, and, you know, it, the, I watched them most of that Southampton game on Friday night. And as poor as Southampton were, they're just playing within themselves, really. They're just Premier League players front to back, you know. So um, I, I just don't see out any way they don't finish in the top two. And, and for me, they'll probably run away with the title. So I see it as a little bit of a free hit, really, if I'm honest, because I don't think Norwich need to be benchmarking against the, this Leicester for me this season. But if they were to go and get a result at Car Road, it just, again will fuel further belief that, um, well, hang on, you know, if you can mix it with, for me, probably the standout team in the championship, then what's the fear? What is the fear? That seems like an apt place to end the show. Thank you all very much for watching, for listening, for uh, joining in as well. Uh, of course, you can uh, get in touch with us on all of the usual platforms, pinkin.com, the place to go as well. And if you uh, like everything we do here, then uh, check out the Pinkin Plus app for more over there as well. From uh, our studio here on Saturday night, we'll see you again very, very soon. Thanks for watching.